you... That's not facetious. Your audience, which will clap apparently anything, is frivolous. Um... <laughs> You mentioned Gore Vidal, and I do want to get into that a bit because he had an essay called Vidal Loco published on the occasion of the second of Gore Vidal's autobiographies. Vidal, at one point, was sort of a mentor figure to Hitchens, called Hitchens his um, his Dauphin, his successor, essentially. And then after 9-11, they had a much-discussed parting of the ways. There's a documentary called Gore Vidal, The United States of Amnesia, where you can see footage of uh, Vidal snubbing Hitchens at his book launch. Uh, I've never seen that. I should watch that. I'm sure that incident captured on camera is probably what sparked this essay more than any other. And I was reading this essay today which I once found very fascinating and I just want to read this paragraph and I'm not going to I'm obviously not going to defend everything that he quotes Vidal is saying here but I think this paragraph is revealing I have now just finished reading a long interview conducted by Johan Hari of the London Independent in which Vidal decides to go slumming again and to indulge in the lowest in himself and in his followers he openly says that the Bush administration was probably in on the 9-11 attacks, a criminal complicity that would certainly fit them to a T. That Timothy McVeigh was a noble boy, no more murderous than Generals Patton and Eisenhower, and that Roosevelt saw to it that we got that war by inciting the Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor. Coming a bit more up-to-date, Vidal says that the whole American experiment can now be described as a failure— the country will soon take its place somewhere between Brazil and Argentina, where it belongs. President Obama will be buried in the wreckage, broken by the madhouse, after the United States has been humiliated in Afghanistan, and the Chinese will emerge supreme. We shall then be the yellow man's burden, quote-unquote, and Beijing will have us running the coolie cars, or whatever it is they have in the way of transport. Now, I mean, there's 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 stuff in that paragraph that I'm obviously not going to stand by. I'm I'm not going to call Timothy McVeigh noble. And I'd like to know what the context for that quote was. Though. I mean, I mean earlier in the piece, uh, Hitchens dismisses a recent book of Vidal's called Perpetual War for Perpetual Peace, which is a book that I hold pretty highly. But he dismisses it as sort of like slumming, ranting, fringe type stuff. But the most important part of that sentence is Vidal calling him no more murderous than Generals Patton and Eisenhower. I mean, I got, I got to say, I think that's some important context to that sentence, isn't it? It's more of a slam against yeah. Patton and Eisenhower than it is building up Timothy McVeigh, right? This essay, and particularly the paragraph you just read, really underscores the extent to which latter-day Hitchens really was just an American nationalist. Like, that was his whole kind of thing. And the kind of flourish he added to that, which we talked about in our episode about that ridiculous documentary he did about, like, te the Texan yes. identity. Do you remember this? Yeah, basically, for, for people who haven't listen to that one which i think was called Farron hitch 911 or something like that he tries to kind of posit the texan identity which like you think it's the most localized uh, parochial identity there is but what if it was actually cosmopolitan and internationalist and you know containing universal values or whatever like that was kind of his uh, take on his own nationalism because the nationalism of empires right is very different from the nationalism of of smaller countries um, you know, of provinces. The nationalism of empires is by definition kind of universalist in its self-conception. Empires always think of their values as sort of universal ones because that's the, the moral and intellectual pretext for being an empire in the first place. In order to be an empire, you have to think you're better than everyone else. And so in this paragraph you just read, 
What Hitchens is really offended by is the idea that Vidal doesn't think the United States is mm-hmm. the greatest thing in the world. And indeed that the United States could commit atrocities on par or greater than its enemies. I've, I've, I've been on the John Stewart show, I've been on your show, I've seen you make about five George Bush IQ jokes per night. It's a joke that any dumb person can laugh at because they think, they think they're, they're smarter, they, they could prove they're smarter than the president. Like the people who make booing and mooing noises in the audience. We've talked about Hitchens before on the podcast. I know that you have a long and complicated relationship with Hitchens in particular, and I get the sense that he's much more bad for you than good now. But despite all this, and despite the fact that Hitchens is quite a quite a genuinely objectionable figure in a lot of ways, I get the sense that you in particular have have a certain trouble quitting him, you know, and and why do you think that is? Well, I don't have any trouble disowning him, you know, politically. And I mean, I I think what he did politically, I mean, if you're going to have, if you're going to leave the left, at least have the, you know, the decency and the dignity to just own the fact that that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, going to the Pentagon to have uh, champagne with Paul Wolfowitz, you're not on the socialist left anymore. I'm sorry. You're not an internationalist. You're you're an American nationalist. So I don't have any um, I don't have any sympathy for that, and I don't have trouble disowning it. But I I do think I have two kind of lingering connections to Christopher Hitchens that may explain or account for what you're describing, which is my inability to, as you put it, uh, quit him or or really fully leave him behind. One is that uh, as much as I do know him from books like God Is Not Great, which I read and mostly liked when it first came out, I also know him from all those C-SPAN clips. I know him from all his pre two thousand writing stuff that I like and in that sense I have just a a personal affection that you have for just anything that you like even if you know 90s and 80s uh, Hitch and C-SPAN clips are not like something I'm consuming every day anymore. I think the other thing about him is that as a writer I mean you know we could do a whole other episode on Hitchens as a writer and as a practitioner of the craft of writing as a stylist, etc. But I mean, I do think, you know, and it even came through in some of the sentences we were reading in, in, in essays we didn't particularly like. I mean, I do think that in a lot of cases, he is a very good stylist. I also think that he possessed a certain quality, which I think is something that all good writers aspire to and should aspire to, which is, you know, a range. I mean, he was able to write about lots of different topics. And I know that sounds very basic when you just say, you know, it sounds very rudimentary, but it really is the case that even many good writers only have kind of one idea or they just have you know a few ideas sometimes that can be good that's you know in the classic isaiah berlin formulation that's the hedgehog model of writing and thinking and you know christopher hitchens more falls under the other pole which is the fox model um you know someone who kind of darts around you know different uh, different holes and dives down them before coming up and going into another one but i don't know i think that quality is uh is pretty laudable in him just like as a writer and it's something that you know i think i aspire to I think you should try to have a range 